Mount Parkway Church. If you are new here, we haven't met yet. My name is Russell McCarson. I'm a student pastor here at Parkway. Um, and upstairs, if you're wondering, who's upstairs? That's our student leadership team is upstairs leading students today. I am down here. Part of the reason I'm down here today is this is what we affectionately refer to as Young Pastor Sunday. Um, because we're really creative with names. Young Pastor Sunday is when younger pastors preach. We're super creative here. Um, and so this really excites me for two reasons. A, I love being a part of a ministry team, being a part of a church that invests in young leaders, young pastors who want to grow in their ability to lead and preach. And I love being a part of a ministry team that is all about that. I love that. I'm excited about that. The second thing that I'm really excited about this is that I still count as a young pastor. Um, for right now, you know, like one day... One day I'm going to go into Mike's office and be like, hey, we got Young Pastor Sunday coming up. I'm like, yeah, we do. He's like, who do you want to pick? <laughs> Me? And it's not an option anymore. Oh, hey, I still got it though. I'm still here, all right? Um, but no, in all seriousness, this is Young Pastor Sunday. And so at Lone Tree, we have Hunter will be preaching midway through the service, and Sam also will be preaching there. But for us right now, I want to uh, really get diving into before we transition to local leaders. If you haven't been here recently, we are in the back end of a series called Everyday Disciples. And Everyday Disciples, we're looking at the book of Romans. Romans is Paul explaining the gospel in a very in-depth and eloquent way to the church in Rome. And through the first 10 chapters, he does that a lot. But in the back part of Romans, he gets really, really practical. He starts giving us some cues of what discipleship looks like in an everyday life. And he also unpacks what are, I wouldn't call them churchy words because they're more like biblical words, but they're words that we hear all the time, but we're not as confident in them as we think we are. For example, we're going to talk about what does holiness look like today. Now, if a pastor was up here and he was saying, we're called to be holy, you'd be like, amen, and you would say it out loud because that makes them more confident, right? Oh, there you go. All right. My favorite person in the room. Like, we, we say amen to holiness. We're called to be holy. And we're like, yes, I agree. Here's the thing I want you to think about. If you had a friend of yours, say a coworker, walked up to you and they said, what does holiness mean? <laughs> what would you say? Because it's one thing to be like, yes, amen to holiness. But when we have to describe it, you're like, it's a tricky word, isn't it, right? And so what I want to do today is look at what does holiness mean? mean? What does it look like when the Bible calls us to be holy? What does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Like Monday morning, what does that look like for us? And to really start that off, holiness, a basic definition, is it's being set apart by God. So if it's an item that's holy, it's set apart for a unique purpose by God. If it's a person, they are set apart for a unique purpose that God has called them to. And so if we're called to be holy, the question is, what has God set us apart to do? What is our purpose? And Scripture isn't vague about that at all. It is very, very, very clear. And we'll start out by looking and answering that question in Romans 13, verse 8. We'll mostly be in Romans. You want to turn there now, you can. In the Version app, you can follow along or in your own paper Bibles, phones, however you'd like to. Romans 13, 8, Paul says this. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding, Except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, some of you guys instantly heard debt, 
and you are Dave Ramsey disciples, and you're like, that's evil, right? Anybody in here? You're driving your Dave car. You're a Dave Ramsey person in here. Like, yeah, there's a couple of us. I know we are. We love Dave Ramsey here at Parkway Church. And Dave Ramsey idea is kind of getting rid of debt and, and living a life, being able to give and live like no one else because you're not controlled by debt. But that's not the debt that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the fact that because we have been loved by God, because God has sent his one only son to die for us, if we have believed in him, we have eternal life in him and that mercy that he has shown to us, we don't just say, thank you, God, moving along. We are then left with a debt to love others. And that is so much of what holiness is about. Our purpose is to actually love others. God, you loved us first, and therefore I am called to love others because to do otherwise is actually hypocrisy. Now, some of you guys, when you hear that, and by the way, those of you guys doing fill in the blanks, some of you guys are like, wait a minute, you missed one. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. What we're called to do here is to live almost debt-free. Living almost debt-free. You see, we are called to live debt-free, but it's almost because we are always called to be in debt to love others because of the love that has been shown to love us live almost debt-free. Now, some of you guys, you hear the call to love people and you go, we talked about that before, Right? We talk about that all the time at Parkway Church, and I hear that all the time. And so what's easy to do is, is turn off because you think, we're talking about this because they forgot that they talked about it before. You see, there's two reasons why people repeat themselves, okay? Option A, they are forgetful, okay? How many of you have a person in your family that they have told you the same story 20 times, show of hands. How many people have, you're that person maybe, right? And it's a shame, like, because I'm this person in my family, like you're telling the story, you're sharing it, and you're like, so, it's 1995, all right? <laughs> this is not my story, because I don't remember 1995 that much, but it's 1995, you're sharing the story, right? And the person they are sharing it to instantly realize they've heard this story a million times, but they love you, as my wife does, love me. And so they try and act as if they've never heard it. They're like, really? Tell me more. And inside they're going, how has not dawned on them? They've told me this 20 times. And about midway through, their acting job falls through, and you start realizing, I've told you this 100 times. They're like, yes, I thought it would never dawn on you, Right? Or it's a joke, and it's their favorite joke, and you're just like, hey, stop, right? Like, we all have that, that person in our lives. I am that person. I am forgetful, okay? Like, I do that to my wife all the time, tell her stories or jokes, and I forgot that I've told them. In fact, I'm so forgetful. What I was going to share at this point in the message was how in, in her family, the Smiths, we have this tradition, right? To show that everybody's forgetful. We have this tradition that. Anytime we're leaving a restaurant or leaving the house, everybody always says, like, all right, everybody got their phones? Everybody got their wallet? Everybody got their keys? Everybody does their little check, right? And I was going to share that to show that we are all forgetful. But as I was telling my wife that I was going to share that, she came up to me and she said, sweetheart, I want you to know that didn't become a tradition in my family until we got married and you entered into the family. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> Never mind, I don't have to ask permission to share this, then do I? And it dawned on me all the times that her, her dad, John, would, he would tell everybody, everybody got their phone, wallet, keys, and then he would turn to me, 
Russell, do you have? It's like, yeah. No, I don't. I go and get off the table in the restaurant. But some of us are more forgetful than others. We're all a little bit forgetful. But I want us to see is this is shared again and again. And this is kind of screamed from the rooftops here at Parkway Church. Not because forgetful as a, as a ministry team. It's shared for a different reason. Because it matters. And more so, this is actually repeated by God numerous times. Not because God is forget, forgetful. He's not forgetful. It's repeated again and again and again because it's important. See, God's not forgetful. When he repeats something, he does so because it's important. Anybody remember like a saying that your mom or dad or, or those who raised your grandparents, they had a saying, they said it again and again and again, and they did it because they felt like it was important. Anybody remember some of those phrases in your life? God does the same thing in Scripture, and so when he repeats something, it's because it matters. And he repeats this command to love people Time and time again, but each time he does, he does a little bit different, and he explains why it matters. Let's take a look. John 13, 34 through 35, it says this. John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus said this himself, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So not just because I said so, because I first loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35, though, sticks out, and it just it hangs there. It's powerful. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What he just said there is, the world will know us by how we love one another. It will know our holiness by how we love one another. It won't know us by our great doctrine, although that matters immensely. It won't know us by how much scripture we memorize. It won't know us by our church buildings or or famous pastors that we may know it will know us by our love for one another. That's how it will know us. Much like when you go to the movies, you don't just show up to the movies and just show up like, hey, what's showing in the next 10 minutes? Some of you may do that. That's weird, okay? Like, when you go to the movies, you go with an intent to see a certain movie because the previews caught your eye, didn't they, right? You went to see Captain Marvel this past week because the previews captured you, right? And we saw another movie or on TV, you're like, I'm going to go see that. In the same way, our love for one another is now the previews, the first glimpse that the world sees of the gospel. It notices us by our love for one another and our love for those who have not yet believed. But doesn't it stop there? Jesus repeats this again and he changes up the way he does it. He says, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in Scripture? And he replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, there's two things. In that passage, we see the command to love God and love people. Sometimes we hear the command to love God, and we're like, yes, amen, love God. And then you hear love people, and you're like, I've met people, so... Like that one's not as that one's not as easy because sometimes people are hard to love, are they not? I get an amen out of that. Like people are hard to love sometimes because hurt people hurt people. Hurt people don't just like they come to us sobbing and crying. They lash out and sometimes they actually hurt us. But we're called to love them because Christ first loved us. But the other thing that I want you to see there is verse forty: all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
When the scripture refers to all the law and the commandments, it's usually a shorthand referring to the majority of the Old Testament. How many of you guys have ever tried to read through the Bible in one year? Ever done that chronological reading plan? Maybe you did this past year, and you got to like Leviticus and Numbers, and the story bogged down a little bit, right? Like you got some genealogies, and you're like, you start flipping ahead a couple pages. My God, this is a long one, all right? And like it kind of bogged down there, and you ask, man, what's the point in all of this? Like what's the point in all this story and this narrative before it gets to Jesus? It's all pointing towards Jesus. It's all pointing towards our need for Christ and what Christ tells us, because I first loved you, you're called to love people. So what Jesus is saying is, Scripture was pointing towards me, and what I am calling you to do is to be holy, to be set apart, to go and love people. Now, if you feel bad because you didn't read that one-year Bible reading plan, don't feel too bad, because you lasted longer than the diet people, okay? And so don't feel that bad. You wipe the floor with the keto people, all right? Um, oh, the diet people hate me now. That's, that's lovely. <laughs> but the reality is this. Jesus says again and again, love people. Go out and love people. That is my command to you. And by the way, loving people means sharing the gospel with them. We're going to talk more practically, though, about what does it look like to love people. Because we can't just say love people because love is a word we use kind of flippantly in our culture. You know, like this past week, I'm a fan of Dollar Taco Tuesdays, Adventurers, Amen. Right? Like that is just, yes. But we use love kind of flippantly right there, don't we? Like that's not quite the same thing as love people. We say I love pe- love all these different things. But what does it actually look like on a day-to-day basis to love people? And actually do that at our, our local campuses, Lone Tree in Port Lavaca. Hunter and Sam, we're actually going to turn that over to you. And so Lone Tree in Port Lavaca, you guys enjoy hearing the word from Sam and Hunter, they will bring the word. For us here in Victoria, though, I want to look at what does it look real practically like to love people on a day-to-day basis. Look at this, Romans 12, 10. It says this, Be devoted to one another and honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another, love people, not just in this abstract love type way, but love them as if they were you. (laughs) that's kind of hard because we're honest with one another we care about ourselves a whole lot don't we love them as if they were you love them above yourselves you see we have to have a certain mindset before that passage can ever become a reality you see if we're not careful we will slip into a mindset that's the opposite of that we'll slip into the mindset of saying our filter for every decision we make is, I'm not hurting anybody. Anybody ever heard that or or said that, right? We've all said it before. I'm not hurting anybody. When I'm done, it's not hurting anybody, even though sometimes it is. Here's the thing. I'm not hurting anybody is our baseline decision for all of our decisions, including how we love people, is a minimalistic Christianity. It's saying, man, what's the bare minimum I can get by on just not hurting anybody, all right, I'm good. Here's the thing. We're not called to a minimalistic Christianity. We're called to more. And in fact, to really obey Romans 12, 10, to love people, we have to change the baseline question not to, am I hurting anybody, but who am I actually helping? That changes everything, doesn't it? 
Who am I actually helping in this? Is what I'm about to say and what I'm about to do, is this actually of benefit to someone? So kind of second fill in the blank is this. We have to live to help, not harm. We have to live to help, not harm. And we can't be satisfied simply by not harming someone if we're not actually helping them. And Jesus kind of expounds on this a little bit more in Matthew 22. He says this. He says, The commandment, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, and you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one commandment. Here we go again. Love your neighbors yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, if you have mindset A, I'm not hurting anybody, you stop in verse 9. I got committing adultery, I haven't done that, right? I haven't murdered anybody. Gold star, all right? Some of you guys are like, dude, I had a rough week. The fact that I didn't murder anybody this week, that is an accomplishment, all right? There's been a rough week, right? Here's the thing. Mindset A stops just there. I haven't hurt anybody. But the mindset of who am I here to help fulfills what Jesus is saying there. Love your neighbor as yourself at the end of verse 9. And so instead of thinking like, hey, I haven't hurt anybody, I haven't harmed anybody, you switch then to the question, who have I actually blessed in the name of the gospel? You, you stop saying, I haven't stolen anything from somebody, I'm not taking anything from somebody, and it starts changing the question of, who have I actually gave and given to sacrificially? If you ever read Acts, especially the early parts of Acts, chapter 2 and 4, the early church gathers together and they sell all their possessions to give to those in need, those who couldn't pay rent, those who are going without. They weren't asking, who have I not stolen from? They're asking, who can I bless? Who can I help? Who can I show the love of Christ to in the same way that was shown towards me? You see, they, the early church, didn't believe in some minimalistic Christianity, and here's why. The why really matters. The why is crucial, actually. The why can't be because I said so or just because it sounds good. The why is this. We don't practice a minimalistic Christianity because we didn't believe in a minimalistic gospel. God sent his son down to earth, like left perfection with God the Father, to go to Bethlehem, a.k.a. ancient world, middle of nowhere, okay? lived this humble life, suffered all the pain that we would suffer as human beings, yet never sinned, lived the perfect life that we could not live, paid the penalty for our sin, paid the penalty for our shame, a death on the cross, which he was not guilty of. He did not deserve, but he gave his life freely for us and was risen again three days later. And if we believe in him, he has conquered death and he has conquered sin for all who believe in him for all of eternity. That's not minimalistic. That is the gospel. And that is love poured out to us in a way that we can't even comprehend. We try to, but we can't even comprehend it. And so our response to that is not, I'm not hurting anybody. Our response to that is, God, how can I show that in any small way that I can to those around me? Our response to that is to love people and love them with just reckless abandon. That's our response to the gospel. That's why God said your purpose 
is to love people. Because Christ's purpose here was to love us and save us from our sin. And so our purpose in return is to share that message, to love others, and to love others to show them that the gospel is true for them if they believe in Jesus Christ. Now, as I said earlier, some of us are forgetful, right? We are all forgetful a little bit, right? You ever walked into a room, you're like, what am I doing here? No, all right. But there's a second characteristic that I think is everybody, but it's some people in spades. And don't worry, this isn't a guilt trip. Who in here, you are a procrastinator. Like that is you. You will put it off. Some of you guys are like, me, me, right? Don't get too excited about it, right? I'm going to get prideful in it, right? You're a procrastinator, right? Here's, if you say you're not, I want you to ask yourself this. Have you ever called somebody, or they called you, even this morning when you're going to church, this is perfect. Hey, they're calling you up like, hey man, you at Parkway yet? You at work yet? You here? And what did you tell them? I am right down the road. You were lying through your teeth, weren't you, right? You were like getting out of the shower, like drying it off, you know, putting on the face, right? You're like screaming out of the driveway. Like anybody ever done that before? We've all done that. And some of us are professionals at it, right? Like, you know, it usually takes five minutes to get to work unless you time up those red lights the right way, and then it gets down to three minutes, right? Or you're waiting until the last minute because Google Maps told you it took 35 minutes to get there, and you take it as your personal challenge to get there in 28, right? Anybody ever been that person? <laughs> All your friends came to know Jesus in the pastor seat of your car, right? It's, we're all a little bit procrastinators. But here's the thing. If we are capable of procrastinating, not always wise, but we're capable of doing it. Why? Because we know the time we're supposed to be there, right? We know, all right, I got to be at work at 8. Therefore, I'm going to go running out of my house at 7.50, right? We can do it because we know the time we're supposed to be there. Here's what I want you to see. Procrastination getting somewhere in your car, that's fine. But procrastination in our faith works a little bit different. I want you to see why. Look at this, Romans 12, 11 through 12. It says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor or passion, in other translations, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. I want you to see there, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, never be lacking in zeal, meaning we are called to live with urgency, not complacency. Kind of third fill in the blank there if you want to do that right now. Live with urgency, not complacency, meaning this. We don't wait until tomorrow to begin to implement what we know we're called to do today. Like we can't walk into this thing going, I will love people next week. It doesn't work that way. We are called to live with urgency. What's awesome, though, is Paul here explains why we're called to live with urgency why we're called to live with urgency and not complacency. He explains it here. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. And he said, And do this understanding the present time. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, 
not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh, a.k.a. walk in daily and consistent holiness. But he explains why, doesn't he? He says we can't be complacent and put off holiness for the next week or the next year or later on when it's easier. Because he says this, we do not know the hour. We do not know the time. When Christ comes again for us, as Paul says, we will not know. But it's nearer now than it was yesterday, isn't it? And holiness factors into that so much. Because like I said earlier, how will the world know us? Our love for others. It will know us by our love for others, our holiness shown by our love for others, especially other believers. The world will know us by that. And so here's the thing. We are the hope of the world to share the gospel with the world. There is no plan B. The church is the hope of the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And they will not listen unless we show personal holiness. They will not listen unless we love others. And we are not promised tomorrow to share that good news with them. You're not promised tomorrow. Well, we can, we can procrastinate other things because we know the time. We don't know the time. We don't know how much more time we have. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised till the end of this message. We're not. And so we have to live with personal holiness today. And one of the, the greatest moments I had in the past couple of weeks, I was able to share the gospel with one of the seniors that I know. And it was awesome because seniors, because I am kind of running out of time with them before they move off. And one of the things that our conversation led to over time, as I said this, I said, look, I'm explaining the gospel to you. This is the gospel. If you don't see it in my life, don't believe me. And there's that moment where you wait and see how he responds. He said, yeah, I get it. Now, that's not a brag on myself because I am far from perfect. And I'm not saying be perfect. We will never be perfect. But what I'm saying is this. Our ability to share the gospel hinges on our own personal lives to say, I am living a life that is pursuing Christ. I'm not a finished product. I'm not done yet, but I'm pursuing holiness. I'm pursuing loving people because that's what Christ did and he called me to do the same. And as we do that, it gives us a certain credibility to the gospel, the truth that we know. And so who's that person in your life you say, you know what? I need to share the gospel with that person. And what is the lifestyle you need to live? What is the personal holiness? And how could you need to love that person in order to share that gospel with them? That's what we're called to do. That is the purpose of the church. That is holiness. But it can't be put off for tomorrow. It can't be procrastinated. We're called to live with that urgency today. And so each one of you... The Holy Spirit speaks through you if you believe in the Jesus Christ. You've received the Holy Spirit. And so through that, I think right now you need to start thinking about asking God, what is your next step to love people? Because we each have a next step. What is your next step? For some of you, maybe it is you need to remove the bitterness from your life that's preventing you from loving people. And not just the ones you're bitter at. It's preventing you from loving all people, even though there's only one person that wronged you. What do you need to do? What do you need to remove from your life? What do you need to change about your life? to actually love people. For some of you, maybe it's actually starting to know some people because you're the introvert, right? <laughs> what do you need to do? Now, for some of us, though, you walked in here today, though, and this is the first time you've heard of the gospel like this. 
maybe you grew up hearing about a God that, that is far from loving. You grew up knowing about a God that is pure judgment. And here's the thing. God does judge our sin, but he does so because he was merciful, because he loved us, because he sent his one only son to die for us. I want you to hear this. Maybe your first step today to personal holiness is to believe in Jesus Christ and understand and believe that he has declared you holy. Changing your eternity forever. Understanding that you're a sinner. We are all sinners, but we are called to believe in Jesus Christ to save us from our sin now for eternity. For some of us today, maybe that's your first step today. For others, maybe it's to remember that that's true for you and you're called to go and love people. Let's pray together for what our next step may be. So we continue on. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, each and every one of us, we come to you, Lord, as a person who is loved by you first. You loved us all, Lord. Some of us have believed in you already and received your mercy, received your grace, God, that changes our eternity, God. For some of us, though, in here today, we have not received that because we have not believed in you, Lord. And our first step today, our next step, is to believe in you. I don't know what brought them here. Maybe a friend. Maybe they were curious. Maybe they've been in church for years, but have never believed in you. Never believed that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And that's their opportunity to believe in you. I pray they may do that. They can maybe mark that belief in you, the simple prayer. Not magic words, not words that save you, but words that mark a belief in you. Praying this, dear Lord, I am a sinner. And I am in need of a Savior. And I believe I believe that that Savior is the one and only Son of God sent to earth to die for my sin. I believe in Him today. I believe in Him. God, I thank you for anyone believed in you just now. They may not keep that a secret. That's not something to keep to themselves. That's something to share to someone they trust, to a leader here, Lord. To someone maybe down front. But God, for each and every one of us that believed in you for years, months, decades, it's easy to forget the fact that we are loved. And when we do that, we forget to love others. We forget our purpose, our purpose to be holy. God, may you call us to that. May you convict us of that, myself included, God. May you not allow us to rest until, Lord, we truly have said, I am fulfilling my purpose in you to love people, God. God, may we not have rest. May we have this passion to do that, Lord, that just will not cease until you come again, Lord, until they all have heard the gospel, Lord, and they have known the gospel first by seeing our love for them and for others, God. I pray that. I pray may work among us, Lord. Convict us where you need to convict us and move among us how you need to, Lord. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.